Hello friends, this is Sage Bernardo and I am the owner of Bernardo Effects and I'm the host of the podcast show It's All About the Tone and this is episode 2. This is Truth Hurts from Johnny Highland. And oh boy, it hurts because it sounds so good. And we are lucky to have Johnny with us. How you doing, Johnny? I'm doing wonderful. Sage, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very, very good, man. I'm so glad to have you here. And it's been a long time. And I'm yeah. really glad that you found time to talk to me because I think uh, it's going to be a cool show. Well, I thank you for having me, my friend. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Yes. So um, let me ask you this. You know, I mean, there's millions of people who know who you are. And isn't that great to have like a <laughs> million people know who you are? Um, yes, sir. But, you know, we're going to talk to also people that maybe don't know who Johnny Holland is. So can you start with, uh, you know, where you grew up and, and, and we, we go from there. Sure, man. Yeah. I, I was born and raised in, uh, in a little town called Baileyville, Maine, which is also called Woodland, Maine. Uh, born in 1975. I, uh, uh, my dad was a journeyman pipe fitter welder for Georgia Pacific paper mill. And of course my mom was a stay at home housewife at the time that I was born. Um, and to be honest, Sage, by age two and a half, man, my my folks realized that I had uh, an eye condition called nystagmus and had my first eye surgery at two and a half years old. Wow. But the funny thing is, man, being legally blind, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the disease nystagmus actually is connected to your brain. So they're like, well, man, I don't know if we want to mess with this kid, you know, and so... Long story short, after that, man, I just uh, grabbed my, my dad's old guitar, which belonged to his father. It's a 1939 J35 Jumbo. No. And, oh. and I still actually have that guitar. You're Dave. kidding. Dave. Yeah, it's a great guitar, man. man. Dana Bourgeois finished it when I was eight. Wow. And, uh, wow. But anyway, I was grabbing that old guitar, man, and just, man, I was like Linus with my security blanket, brother. I just... <laughs> I had to have that old guitar with me at all times. Oh, that's great. And you know, it's funny. You're talking about being uh, legally blind as, what, you said two and a half, two years mm -hmm. old? Yep. Well, here's a, here's a story that maybe a lot of people don't know, and it might not be a shock to you. I'm deaf on one side since I was four years old. Really? Yes. I mean, wow. completely deaf. I was... Um, I had a, a, a really bad infection that the doctors just didn't pay attention to. It It just grew and grew and grew and uh, pretty much destroyed everything inside my ear, the ear bones, the ear nerves, um, eardrums, and oh my. got to the brain. And so, Whoa. yeah, so in 1974, um, I was admitted to the hospital. Uh, pretty much the, the doctor who saved my life back then I uh, told my mom I was nine hours on the table. Wow. Yeah, and he, he came out and he said he should pray to God because uh, your son was just uh, a second away from being dead. Whoa. So, I mean, so here we have something kind of like in common without even knowing, you know. Well, you know, buddy, I'll, I'll tell you, Sage, it's amazing, man, because at that point in time, everybody in the family, I mean, I was when I was born, I was cross-eyed. And oh, wow. of course, you know, my family's thinking, what's going to happen to this kid, you know? And <clears throat> by the age of two and a half, I had corrective eye surgery, which really uh, kind of brought my eyes back straight again, I guess you could say. But having the stagnus, they kind of move and jerk a little bit, oh, you know, wow. and I can't really have much focus of anything. Wow. Um, but to be honest with you, man, I like I said, I muscled on the musical instrument. 
and the first one obviously being the guitar. And right, right. Man, I, I did my first uh, talent show at age five. I was on TV by the time I was seven. Um, ended up joining forces with my brother and sister, man. We had a band called the Three J's <laughs> back when we were young. And, uh, man, we won we won a bunch of Down East Country Music Association awards. And then I won Talent America when I was 10. Wow. And man, so you've been, really- you've been working since, like, the beginning. <laughs> I was about five, yeah. Ah, yeah. That's funny. Do you? Do well, you, you know. Uh, go ahead. It's amazing, though, man, because I I, I kind of laugh and tell people, "Gosh, I was making more money when I was ten than I make now." You know. <laughs> it's funny. Do you? Uh, do you find um, you know being legally blind uh, and and me being deaf on on one side? And I remember people were asking me back in the day, "Well." doesn't bother you that you deaf and all that and i said you know in in a way i found some blessing being deaf on one side and it's like why i'm and i said well here here is an example i'm gonna go to sleep and there's like i don't know workers outside with machinery going on guess what i put my good ear on the pillow and nothing it's quiet wow <laughs> you know well man I, i'll tell you what stage it's kind of like see no evil hear no evil right now right you got that right it's part two to that movie right <laughs> right right so uh, <laughs> so what kind of music did you uh, listen to as a kid you know man i was a big you uh, my grandfather on my mom's side loved all kinds of Like, you know, Merle and Waylon and Willie and, and Johnny Cash and Webb Pierce and Farron Young. And so, man, he'd bring me bags of eight track tapes, man, of all those old country artists. And I love country. Wow. Music. Now, my dad was a big fan of Skinner, Blackfoot, The Outlaws, Marshall Tucker, bands like that. And to be honest with you, man, I, <laughs> I cut my teeth musically on bluegrass. Wow. And the reason being is up in Maine, man, a lot of folks had mandolins and banjos and stuff you could play without being amplified. Right. And so it was just easier for us, as especially as a, a kid act, you know, to right, find right. Uh, find guys that dad knew in the mill to come back us kids up when we did our show. And so so I learned how to play the five-string banjo. and, and uh, What age was and it? And, What age? Oh, man, I started... Well, by the time I was 10, I was playing about six instruments. Oh, my Lord, man. Yeah, when I won Talent America, I played uh, guitar, banjo, mandolin, and fiddle in that show. So. Wow, wow, wow. Man, that's cool. You know, um, you know I, uh, I will say this too, brother. I really do believe that, you know, people have always said to me since I was a kid, they're like, man, you know, when God sees something in somebody that is a handicap or something, he always gives gifts, you know, and I... Man, I swear, he, he gifted me to where everybody that saw me play was like, man, this kid, this, this is what God's given this kid to do. You know, so, and I, I actually believe in that, too, because me being deaf on one side, again, going back to people asking me, well, can you hear okay? I mean, how do you even play guitar? And, and because, you know, yeah. when I grew up, uh, I think we, you and I are maybe around the same age. You might be five years younger than me, but... You remember when we were uh, kids, we used to listen to uh, vinyls and cassette tapes. And if we had to listen to something, you know, we had to, we, exactly, you know, we had to rewind yeah. the tape or we have to move the needle just to capture that little phrase. Oh. And it was all by ear. There was no videos, no YouTube, <laughs> right. no That's, nothing. I, even when I teach today, Sage, I tell these kids, I'm like, man, y'all got it made with YouTube and all this stuff. Y'all can go on there and watch licks and all that. I said, man, when I was a kid, you had to rewind a cassette tape until you literally broke the player to yes. get one lick. Yes, exactly. Over and over and over again. Sometimes over just for one note. You know, sometimes yeah. it would be just one ghost note that you were like, well, how do I get that? So, yeah. So, you know, so it's, I think you're right. It's some sort of a blessing uh, that we, we were presented with because I believe, at least for me, Being deaf on one side, I am so tuned to uh, 
you know, this show, it's all about the tone. I'm so tuned to perfect tone, to everything that is just, I don't want to call it right, but it's, it's just soothing, you know. Well, Sage, I'm going to be honest, brother. I know uh, I'm very familiar with your effects, my friend, especially through my dear friend Rod Riley. And, uh, right. Dude, you definitely have a knack for creating amazing tones. So, well, well thank you, With your my handicap friend. or not, my friend, you're, you're blessed what you do. <laughs> well, thank you. But, but, you know, going back to what you said, you know, God find the handicap and give them a different gift. And, you know, yeah. just like you, you know, you've been blind and, man, you've been playing instruments by the age of 10, six of them. Yeah. You know, I can barely yeah. play a, a, one guitar and I'm 50, you know. But, but yes, I do believe. And, and I remember, I think it was like late 70s, early 80s, um, mm-hmm. I was sitting one day. And again, you know, I'm with headphones right now. Of course, being deaf on one side, I can hear only on one side. There's nothing on the other side. I mean, I can't even hear it. Wow. But I remember one day I was sitting in in, uh, in my room and I was listening to Queen. Um, and, you know, Queen has a lot of that ping pong uh, uh, mixing where you have stuff yep. going all across. Well, if both of your ears don't work, you can't hear it. Right. And I remember one day, and I, you know, I've, I've shivered just talking about it right now. I put the headphones on, and I swear to God, Johnny, I could, I could hear, and maybe it's the brain to do it, you know, because maybe your brain start to uh, either produce or help you maybe uh, uh, um, uh, realize stuff that you don't hear. But I could hear the ping pong going on from one side to the other and i know i couldn't hear it on that one ear i, I knew it well you, you just weren't hearing it in perfect stereo you were no. hearing it one to- exactly exactly but but you know I, I do believe it's 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 in a way it's in a gift it's a gift for us probably you know yeah and i and i embrace it um well you know i know for me brother having bad eyes i have very sensitive hearing so there you go Pedal makes a lot of noise. It drives me crazy. There you go. If an amp is buzzing too hard or something. I mean, dude, I was one of those kids that I could tell you when a battery was going in a boss pedal. Wow. Or, That's or, great. You know, I was one of those kids, man. Yeah, I, I was hearing really crazy stuff. That's that, you know, there you go. Well, I'll tell you what, I think it's time to, uh, because we talked about what kind of music you grew up on and all that. I think it's time to play one of your songs from your upcoming album. And uh, let's let's play it for a little bit, and maybe you can talk about it a little bit, okay? Great. There you go. That's called guitar song. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, tell us about first. First of all, tell us about the new album. Is it out or is it coming? Oh, sure. It's well, it's in CD Baby's hands. We're just waiting for final approval and for them to really get it out there. Okay, cool. So, okay. so people can find it on all the other platforms: iTunes, Amazon. They will be able to. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Apple Music, Amazon, everywhere. Okay, yep. good. And I will include all the information on the episode um, um, info. So, what, what's what's the guitar song is all about? I mean, what's the what's the story behind it? Well, you know, Sage, this new album is called the Chatham Sessions because back in 2018, in December of 18, actually, my wife and I decided to pack it up after 22 years in Nashville and moving on up here to Chatham, Virginia. Oh, we'll talk so about that too. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the area my wife grew up in. Right. And we just realized after all the years being in Nashville. Fighting the good fight for the, uh, you know, 
for the music business and all that. <clears throat> we sacrifice too much time away from family, man. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, hitting 45 years old this year, uh, I'm so glad to be up here around Kimmy's dad and, and of course, Aunt Joanne and everybody that's up here, all our brothers and cousins. And, of course, we have a lot of nieces and nephews, too. So I really right, love right, being right. up here these days. Right. But anyway, the guitar song was really the song that starts the album off. And I just wanted to write a fun little tune to start my show with that just describes, hey, folks, this is what you're fixing to get. You're fixing to get chicken picking, some rockabilly, some blues, some rock and roll, because I play every style. Right, I right, love right. every style. Yeah. And so here it is. Wow. Cool. So um, I, th- I think I've seen an ir- interview a few days ago with uh, – Cody that you did, I think, yeah. that you said you play all the instruments? I played every, you know, Sage, this is such a, an amazing time for me too, brother, because here again, I'm going to go back to the good Lord above because he blesses me all the time, and I, I sit and wonder why sometimes, but I'm grateful. And when I moved up here to Chatham, man, the first thing I got to thinking about was what everybody was telling me. Oh, man, you move, you move away, man. Your, your career is over. Huh. And I was like, Nah, I can be Johnny Highland from anywhere. Yeah. But then again, I was thinking, man, I'm moving nine hours away from Nashville. I mean, I can always get back there quickly. But then, of course, COVID-19 hit. And yep. so, to be frankly honest, man, I when I first got up here, we unloaded, you know, unpacked the house and got everything set up and got settled in. But then it started hitting me like, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? Right. And... To be honest with you, man, my dear friend, Mr. Kenny Thurman, called me. And I've known Brother Kenny for over 20 years in Nashville. Right, right. Of course, Kenny's one of the best sound men in the planet, man. He's, uh, you know, he's worked for Mark Chestnut, for Jamie O'Neill, for yeah. Mike Henderson and Two Blood, for the Grand Ole Opry, and of course, with Phil Bass in the last 10 years or 11 right. years. But I thought he was going to be one of those buddies that called me from Nashville going, what in the heck did you do? Why did you leave town? <laughs> But instead, he called me up and he said, hey, man, a, a buddy of mine told me that you were over at uh, our dear friend Benny's house and you were jamming with Ricky Van Shelton the other night. And I said, yeah, man, I was over at Benny's. I'm like, man, how do you know Benny? Because, see, I'm, I'm still thinking Kenny's in Nashville. Right, right, right. Uh, Kenny said, well, you know, it's a funny story, Johnny. I'll get to that in a minute. But he said, dude, do you realize we live about 16 miles away from each other? What? And I'm. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, maybe in Nashville we did. And he's like, no, man, I live in Danville, Virginia. You are kidding. And I was like, get out of here, man. So I proceeded to tell Brother Kenny about my dream for the, quote, blind man studio. (laughs) And you know this business, brother. When you're going to make a record, you got to have the songs all written, prepared. Yep. charted yep. you got to have the musicians lined up you got to pay for the studio time the engineer no, i mean there's a list of people that need to be involved right so i told kenny i said look man i play all these instruments and i would love to find a way for me to be able to record he said dude look what do you got for cash man i said well not a lot because i just moved and he and i said but i do have a couple of good gigs coming up and this was obviously 2018 or 19 long before covid hit and i said you know i'm working for the u.s army man i said i'm you know doing some some gigs with them and i said i'm so honored i love our troops i love our country and so i said you know but i got a couple of good gigs coming up he said well dude when you get back let's go shopping and of course i was like yeah dude that'll be fun if the missus will let go, you know, and let me do it. <laughs> yes. He, dude, he said, I, when we get this rig that I'm thinking of for you, I will have you up and running and recording in three hours. No. And I was like, dude, you realize I'm legally blind. You know, this." he's like, I got you. I got you, son. I've known you 20 years. Uh, he said, I got you, man. And I said, well, I said, okay, I trust you, bro. But that, that's a far shot, you know. Right, right, well, right. Fair enough. Long story short, brother, we went shopping. He hooked me up in the studio that I have from my in my house here, and he was not lying, dude. He he set me up. He taught me how to do it, and he said, "All right, your first assignment is I want to hear a, a song out of you within a week." Huh. And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> dude." He had the first MP3 from my studio, all tracked and done, the next morning. No. 
the next morning. He had me so pumped up, dude, and fired up. So for the first time in 45 years of this legally blind guy's life, man, I'm actually able to record on my own, play all the instruments myself, wow. engineer myself. And of course, I get brother Kenny to mix it for me, and and of right, course, right, right, uh, right. our dear buddy Tim Moore mastered this record. But it's, but dude, just to be able to sit down and be creative in my own space and yes. on my own time, yes, it's one of the biggest blessings ever. I bet, man. And you know, you you know, probably after you were done with this, it's like, man, I can do it, right? Well, I, I mean, I was scared to death, man. I was like, what if I hit the wrong button? <laughs> But to be honest with you, man, Kenny's like, brother, there's an edit undo. You go up under edit, you hit undo. Boom, it comes back. Your mistake is gone. And I'm like, so he's like, dude, don't worry yourself sick about this, man. Just play. Hey, you know what? Maybe you and him should start some sort of like a new business. Dude, we already have. Dude. That's what I was going to get at next. We've actually... Since COVID hit, man, we have started uh, doing full band tracks for singer-songwriters, for artists, for, shoot, even somebody that just wrote a song by chance and just want to hear it fully tracked. Wow. Wow. Dude, we have, since my little studio opened last October, which is all, literally almost a year from now, we're a few days away from a year. Right, right, right. But, dude, I've done over 90 songs in my studio. Oh, Lord. Wow. Yeah. Like complete songs ready to... Complete wow. songs. I mean... Now, granted, 15 of those were for my album. Right, 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 and right. And we, we did a full album for Brother KT as well. We put his first album out. And because uh, I had no idea that Booger was a great singer-songwriter, too, and guitar player. Right, right. So all I can say, Sage, is we have had a ball this, within this last year. So anybody listening to this, man, if you ever want a track done, all you have to do is reach out to me via Highland007 at Comcast.net, and I'll give you the details. There you go. And, you know, um, by the end of the show today, I'll get all the information for you from you, and I'll just put it on on the episode info. Um, so going back a little bit, um, you know, you said you were playing guitars uh, uh, at the age of 10, so who were your your uh, main influence on guitar? I well, think I know a couple I'll of them. but I started playing at two and a half and played bluegrass all the way up until I was 15. Okay. However, what was the pivotal thing for me was my dad took me to see Ricky Skaggs play at the Bangor Auditorium. He, oh, was, Lord. My, he was my big icon hero back in the day, man, and still is to this day. Right. But... So, you know, in 1985, Sage, that's when he had Heartbroken, and Highway 40 Blues and Country Boy and all the big hits out there. And, man, you know, like I, like I said, my dad was of the attitude of, man, there's no way he's going to be as great live as he is on record. Because Ricky's record sounded, you know, incredible. But, of course, Ricky's show, his band, you know, the songs, obviously. But him playing that purple telly, man, that purple glazer telly with yeah. the measure in it. Right, right, right. That's what changed my life. That's wow. what I, I said. The Gibson's got to go in the closet. I need an electric guitar now. Wow. And so I tell, I've even told Ricky Keggs, I said, brother, you're the whole reason I even play electric guitar. And he truly is. Yeah. Um, but then from Ricky Skaggs and loving him as much as I do, you know, I learned about Albert Lee. I learned about Brent Mason. I learned about, you know, of course, other players, Steve Warner, Vince Gill. Right. You know, other artists that are players as well, you know, right, because right, right. in fact, Bill opened the show for Ricky that time. Yeah. Um, but I proceeded to go see Ricky about three more shows after that one in Bangor, Maine in, in, in 1985. And all three shows, he was just incredible, man. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I still think about it to this day, say just how good it was. Wow. Well, you know, it brings us to the next song I want to play, which probably talks about all these players. So let, let's let's play it a little bit and we'll talk about it, okay? All right. Well, I was born and raised on Chanakins and Jerry. Country guitar and I knew what I wanted to be 
Jeans and moved to Nashville, Tennessee So I could become a real honky-tonky guitar man In the barroom boot camp in the place where it all began Well, I formed my own style and I put together my own band Oh, yes, I did then I became known as the Honky Talking Guitar Man. And now I'm gonna show you. Yeah, Honky Tonk. Man, you, you listed a, a whole bunch of players on this song. And um, I'll tell you a funny story about one of them in a second. But, you know, you got Albert Lee and, and uh, uh, James Burton and. And those are like monster players, and and uh, yeah, I remember you know talking about speaking of James Burton, which is a, a dear friend, and I love him to death. But I remember it was twenty, maybe twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Seymour and I are working together for almost like twenty. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, twenty, yeah. twenty-two years. But I remember when I just first Seymour, and we kind of like became started to become friends, and so he used to bring me to the name show in L.A. So at first, I remember the first name show he took me over, you know, uh, uh, we were walking down the aisle and it's a whole bunch of people coming in. It's like, you know, and, and, and yeah. I know I recognize most of them. I remember it was yeah. like 20 something years ago. So I was a little bit in my, you know, late 20s, early. Yeah, I was like 29, 30. Sure. So, and there's one guy came to, you know, Seymour and I, and, you know, he's hugging Seymour and talking to him and I'm looking at him. I know I know him, but I just, I, I, you, know, you know how you know somebody, but just the name just doesn't come to you? Right. So now remember, I was born in Israel, right? <laughs> so I, I, moved to, uh, I moved to the U.S. in 97. So a lot of these people I've seen on TV uh, as a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so he's talking to Seymour and he's asking about me and Seymour introduced me to him and all that. So after he left, Seymour looks at me and he knows that I'm kind of like, crap, I know the guy, and I died. And he said, Sage, do you know who was that guy? Yeah. And I was like, Seymour, <clears throat> face looks familiar. I know I know who he is, and I can't say the name. And he right. was like, you know who Elvis Presley is, right? I said, yes. He said, that's James Burton. And I just, I just shook my head. I was like, oh, my God, no way. That's James Burton. But, you know, right. it was just funny. And then ever since, and just James and I became such a good friends. He's such a lovely man. I love him. He too. really is, man. He's been a, a dear friend to me over the years, but also still a major hero, you know. Yes, yes. You know, so you had like yeah. you had Don Rich over there. You had uh, uh, you had uh, um, Albert Lee. Um, so, you know, you got Albert. You got James Burton. Albert. And James, you know, they're kind of like, I don't want to say they're kind of like uh, on, on the same platform, but they have kind of like, you know, it, it's it's almost like they're touching the same, but they're so different, right? Yeah. And I, well, and I think really that, man, they were the, uh, they were the originators of what chicken picking guitar became. Right, right. Um, I think that's why my hat's off to both of those gentlemen. I mean, obviously... Albert playing in Emmy Lou's hot band and, you know, had hands and feet and all the stuff he's done, you know. And then, of course, James Burton was what he's done with Merle Haggard, Ricky right. Nelson, and Al. Right. Just incredible, you know. I, so they did. They were really the, uh, they paved the way for us to they did. do what we did. You yeah. know, I remember um, Seymour sent me a few, uh, a few stuff that James was doing when James was 15 years old. Wow. And man, the stuff that James did back then, we're talking about 50s, you know? And it was like, how can somebody even do this uh, uh, without all the knowledge that we have today after 50 years? <clears throat> yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, just, just, it was just amazing, you know? Well, another player that was that, was that pivotal as well was Jimmy Bryant. Oh, yeah. Oh, which, by the way, you I know. I love all the old. The old Jimmy Bryant, Speedy West, you know, Stratosphere of, Boogie album and all the. Of course. I mean, I've got the box set. I still listen to it to this day. I love it. I know the, the four the four CD box set. The uh, Yep. Yeah, I have that one too. 
And in fact, yeah. bringing up uh, Jimmy Bryant, you know, John Bryant, his son, he's a good friend of mine. And yeah, I know well. Yeah. He's great. So he's going to be on the show. So I'm going to talk to him about, you know, all these days, talk to him about his father and all that stuff. So that I'm looking you forward to that. You a big howdy man, and I still love his dad so much. I know. I, you know in fact, you know, speaking about that, uh, Steve Trovato called me today, and he knew I'm going to talk to you. So he's, he says hi, too. Oh, man. I love Steve, too. I know. Such an, and an amazing player, too. Yes, know? he is. And he's yeah. going to be on the show in a couple of weeks from now, too. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be great. Um, so let me ask you this. So how old were you when you moved to Nashville? Well, honestly, Sage, I, from, the, from seeing Ricky Skaggs, I'll just segue into my teen years very quickly. Right. Essentially what happened was, man, the Three J's was still going strong in the Downey Country Music Association. However, I remember the day my dad pulled me out of junior high school and said, Okay, son, we're going to take you to Bangor, Maine, which was a two, about a two-hour ride from my hometown. Right. And he said, we're going we're gonna to get you your first electric guitar. And, man, I was thinking, Telly, Telly. You know, I was all pumped about a Telecaster. Right, right, right. Because that's what Ricky played. Right. You know? And so we get up to Northern Kingdom Music in Bangor, Maine, dude. And at the time, uh, they had no USA Tellys in stock. What? And... My dad's like, look, I'm not buying a, you know, back in the 80s, if you remember, the, Japan, the Japanese made right. were big. Yeah. And so dad's like, no, I'm not, I'm going to buy Johnny a USA made good guitar. He'll have it the rest of his life. Right. So here's the, here's the other funny blind guy story too, Sage, <laughs> because there were two American strats hanging on the wall and Dana Flood, the manager of the store, so my dad, he said, I don't have any American-made tellies, but I got a couple of straps. And dad said, well, you know, Johnny has a hard time seeing Rosewood Fingerboard, you know, but yet he plays banjo and acoustic with one. But right, right, he right. said, I think with picking, you know, the easier, the better for him to see the neck. So, of course, maple necks is all I play, right? Right, right, right. right. Anyway, he said, uh, yeah, I got two maple neck straps in, man, and... uh and, of course, I'm going, I don't want no Strat, man. That ain't what Ricky Staggs plays. Right. And, but, of course, Dana Flood brought over a Strat Magic Guitar Player magazine. And he said, son, he said, there's a charcoal gray one with a maple neck and there's a bright red one. Well, man, me being, you know, the kid loving color because my eyes can right, see right, the color. Yeah. Which, you know, red's my favorite color, obviously. Yep. But... And Dad said, look, Dana, you take down the two guitars and pick the best one. That's what he's going to get. Well, it happened to be the charcoal gray one. <laughs> so, I was like, ah, man, what's up? So, but it also, Dana also had a picture of Clapton with a gray one. Yeah. So I said, that's cool. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned. I started playing in a band back then. Believe it or not, there was a guy named Sid McCarthy who – Came to my parents' trailer where I grew up, and I, gosh, I was 12, dude. I had just started taking lessons, and he said, "Man, my, you know, my guitar player is sick, and I need a, a guitar player for the Rod and Gun Club this weekend." Right. And of course, Dad was like, "Well, Slick, you got your homework done?" And I'm like, "Yes, sir, I do." And dude, trust me, if you didn't, if you didn't pay, you didn't play. So you had to have great grades in school. Of course, yeah. You know, and I was a straight A, A, B student, you know, all through school. Great. So anyway, I went up and played my first gig with Sid. And dude, we played together all through my teen years and all into Nashville. Um, frankly, man, we had a little three-piece band called Standing Room Only. And actually, Mr. Sid McCarthy just passed away this year, man. It really yeah. hurts my heart. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But he was the guy, man, that was really... You know, hey, man, you know Western Girls by Marty Stewart? You know Chattahoochee by Alan Jackson? So I would I would take my gig money and go out and buy all these CDs, man, and sit at home and just shed right, right, yeah, for yeah. hours trying to figure out wow. what those licks were that Brent was playing or that, you know. No, you, no YouTube wanted. back then to look at it. But YouTube, no. Right, right, right. So. In fact, I you know I missed the days, man, of the CD, of the record stores, yes. you know, records oh. and Tower oh. Records and all that. Oh, I know? love that. Yes. Oh man, I do, and I miss them. I really do. Yep. But so I spent all my gig money getting CDs and learning. Of course, CDs just came out when right. I was yep. you know yep. learning how to 
how to play. And so really, man, it was a, an amazing experience because I played with a guy who was hard on me. He was, uh, you know, he wanted the song just like the record. Yep, yep, yep. And not only did I just have to play lead, I had to play all the rhythm guitar, all the fills, sing all the harmonies. So I had that, man, I, I had a big job in that band. So from the time I was 12 till the time I went off to college uh, in 1993, I went to the University of Southern Maine. Um, I played in standing room only. And then even after going to college, I'd take the Greyhound home and play gigs. You know? <laughs> but little did my parents know, while I was in college, man, I was saving my money. And I was buying gear. I was buying like a Les Paul, an Ibanez with a Floyd Rose. Right. Uh, Telecaster. I had I had a couple of tellies by then, and then of course you know all the all the session guitars the session player in Nashville would need. Yep. And so, literally, man, I was taking that time in college practicing about twelve to sixteen hours a day. Yeah, those were the days. Those yes. were the days, man. Yep. And so, literally, though, man, after three years at the University of Southern Maine, uh, I just was typing a term paper one night on the Civil War. I was a history major with a minor in elementary ed. Yep. And I was doing a term paper on Gettysburg or whatever it was. And I looked in the back in the, in the mirrored screen of my computer because the state of Maine, God love them, they helped me with my handicap. You know, they were very good to me. Right. But I saw the reflection of my hard shell guitar cases underneath my bed at my grandma's house because that's oh. where I lived when I went to college. And I thought, man, all I want to do is play guitar. That's all I want to do. Right. And I'm like, all these years I've won talent shows, you know, and award after award for all these instruments I play. And, and honestly, Sage, by the time I hit 18 years old, brother, I could actually play 22 instruments. Wow, man. Uh, actually, I learned my dad wanted me to be a, uh, a high school band teacher. That's what he wanted me to do. Right. And then as a school teacher, play play in a band in the summer and then teach during the school year. Right. Well, to be honest, that didn't work out for Johnny. So, <laughs> so I formally withdrew from school. And, of course, uh, there's a long story behind that. But I'm writing a book. You guys will be able to Ooh, read about Ooh, yeah. You should tell and us about so, that. Yeah. Funny thing is, Sid called me at that same time, man, where I was seeing my parents before I left. Yep. And he said, man, I'm down in Orlando, Florida, man. I just left Nashville. Dude, you and I would have a ball down there together. And I said, well, isn't it funny you happen to say that because uh, I'm coming down. Huh. And he's like, get out of here, man. I said, yeah, dude, I just resigned from school, and I've, I've, I've decided I'm moving to Nashville. So that was in the 90s? August the 16th, I remember, 4 a.m., we drove into Nashville, Tennessee for the first time. You know. stayed at motel on Dickerson Road, dude. I'll never forget it. You know, I and wish that. I I wish I had a chance to uh, uh, know Nashville, um, like during the times that you were there. You know, I moved to the U.S. in '97, but I went to L.A. to music school over there. I went oh. to Musician Institute, um, straight from Israel and all that. But man, I can't imagine when you moved down to Nashville. You you probably had Chad Atkins walking down the street, and and you know probably Brian Not Mason. Really, man. Is uh, so I mean, I wish I could have seen it. You know. Well, I'll be honest with you, Sage. It was mind blowing for me, man, uh, and very much a culture shock. I I come from a very small town in Maine uh, to go into a huge city like Nashville, which. In 1996, man, it still was a... A small town. You know, a little big town. Yeah, it was a, right, right, right. Yet, I know. All the musicians felt like a big family. Yes. You know? Yes. And so I was uh, welcomed in, man. I had a gig the, the second day I was in Nashville uh, and started playing, you know, doubles and triples every day on Lower Broadway yeah. for about nine years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, in 1998, when the big tornado hit, I right downtown, playing. right? Yeah, yeah, it hit downtown. Yeah, and then after that, I ended up playing with Don Kelly. I took Red Bocart's place and played it in Don's band for five and a half years. Wow! And uh, what, man, what you a, talk about barroom boot camp, buddy. That's what I. That <laughs> I know. You know, it's like the kids of today should learn that. You know, this is yes, sir. man, and t and taking uh, 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 Red is a tough work. Red Volcard oh. is just a monster player. And just to 
just to replace him, you probably were shaking. <laughs> well, I was shaking Sage, but I was, I had already been in town two years gigging my butt off. Yeah. And woodshedding like crazy, dude. So I, I was up for the challenge. I'll just say that. I bet. I bet. And you but, know, I, I think. It was weird. So, 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 so what, what do you, what was your first gig? When you moved to Nashville, if you can remember, like who, who was it that you played? And he said, yeah, I'm playing a gig. You know, man, it's funny. I, Sid and I rolled into Nashville and we went, we went down to a little club called the world famous turf, which was right on the end where Rippy is, is mm -hmm. today. Right. Um, and I remember they said, man, we don't allow nobody to sit in till midnight. So Sid and I hung around there, man, to listen to the band play. And in fact, uh, Keith Gaddis was playing there at the time. Huh. And my dear friend, and I know you know Forrest Lee Jr. as well. Yep. Uh, Forrest Lee Jr. was playing in there at the time, and uh, and Billy Davis. Huh. So anyway, those were the those were the cool guitar cats in there at the time. And, right. But I remember at midnight we got up and Sid and I got up and played, and uh, the bartender was on the phone and. She said, y'all keep playing. So we played four or five songs. The next thing I know, some guy comes in and walks behind the bar. And he said, uh, he walked up to Sid and I, and he said, uh, you boys free from three to eight tomorrow? <laughs> We're like, yep. He said, well, you got your first gig in Nashville. Wow. On day two, we were playing the world-famous Turks, man, from three You're to eight. You're kidding. Wow. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's pretty cool. You probably felt like I'm making it. Oh, I was like, man, that first you know, 50 bucks I made that day. I was like, <laughs> woo -hoo! you know? Uh, and you know, and, and, you know, uh, I, I lived in Nashville too. I, I, you know, when I, when I moved from LA, I lived in LA from 97 till 2002, I think. So right after 9-11, a few months later, I moved to yeah. New York. Believe it or not, <laughs> the one place of the whole thing was New York. Um, wow! And I lived in New York a year and a half, and I and I, you know, and I felt I I just went from the West Coast craziness to the East Coast craziness, and and I just I just didn't feel it. It wasn't home for me, and I always wanted to go to Nashville. I mean, it was a dream of mine. Right. So I remember it was July fourth, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand and three. I packed my car with everything that I had and just drove down to Nashville. I knew nobody. I mean, I knew nobody, not a soul. And I was like, wow. I just, I'm just going to try it. You know, I'm just going to go there, try it. And, uh, and I remember, you know, coming down to Nashville and, and I hit lower Broadway probably every night. Um, and it was still, uh, again, you know, people might going to hate me saying it, but, um, I think Nashville changed. Oh, a lot, what you, uh, yeah. You know, and to me, because I moved out of Nashville in January 2006, and it was just starting to have that little yeah. change. And mm -hmm. since then till now, I don't recognize Nashville anymore. Well, Sage, honestly, brother, that's the reason I left. I, you know, I, I will say to everybody listening, I. I don't regret one second that I lived in Nashville. Sure. And in fact, I was always the guy saying, I will never leave Nashville. Because it's the place that, you know, from the time I was seven years old playing Dick Stacy's Jamboree right. uh, on TV in Maine, telling everybody my dream was to play the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, yep. dude, I, I yearned to be in Nashville since I was a little bitty kid. Yeah. So Nashville was my dream place to go. Yeah. And, and I think, man, honestly, as a, As a youngster moving there at 21 years old in 1996, uh, with Sid, thank God, I mean, like I said, God was looking out for me. I had a buddy of mine looking out for the blind kid as he learned Nashville. Right, you know? yep. Uh, and Sid was such a, like I said, man, we we had our shit together. We knew what we were playing, and we knew what we were doing, and, and of course, uh, we just didn't know if Nashville would like what we did, but they did, and I was thankful for that. right. But to be honest with you, man, I mean, once I started playing with Don Kelly's band, uh, you know, artists would start coming in. Like, 
Ronda Vincent would come hear us play. Vince yeah. Gill would be in the back watching right. us play. Yes. But Don Kelly's band was was always known for having such a long lineage of great guitar players. Yes. I mean, I was just utterly uh, honored to even be on the stage of Roberts with Don Kelly. Right. Uh, you know, he was hard as hell on me too, man. I mean, he was it was barroom boot camp, man. Right. I mean, like, for, I mean, I'll share this with you, Sage. I remember when I got my first compressor ever. Yeah. And I took it down to Don's gig, man, and I cranked that bugger on. Because, you know, Keith Urban had just come out with, with right, French. Right, right, Yes. And, and that real squeezed tone, that's what Brent was getting on Alan Jackson's stuff. Right. Keith Urban was making it big that way. So what do I do? I go down to Don's gig, crank that compressor up, man. And oh, boy. hollered at me with, get that shit off that board. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yes, like, Don was like what? that. <laughs> you know, I know. But he did teach me how to tastefully use a compressor. Yes, to yes. not rely on compression because, as you know, compression can be quite a crutch. Yes, to any guitar. Yes. So he said, "Son, the fact is, you don't want to squeeze your tone to death and suck the life out of it. Exactly. You just want to give enough compression where it's just evening out your notes. Exactly." And, and I said, ah. And once I heard what Don was talking about, I was like, he's right. It, it makes sense. Everything Don Kelly taught me in his band, man, you know, granted, it was his show. It was his band. Exactly, yes. And people came to see him. So, I mean, frankly, uh, I did what I was told. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he was my yeah, and, you know, talking about Don Kelly, I mean, I think almost every single guitar player that used to play with him yeah, made it big in a way, you know. I mean, the list is just going on and on and on. Oh yeah, man. I mean, God, everyone from Brent Mason to Troy Lancaster to you know Kenny Vaughn, Rod Riley, yeah, uh, Red uh, Volcar, you know, Stewart now, uh, uh, Guthrie, uh, Guthrie no, Trap. Yeah, yeah. God, after me, it was Guthrie Trap, and then you know, uh, uh Danny Steinbeck, Daniel Donato, and, right. Taught Daniel Donato for a lot of years, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, uh, but an amazing lineage of guitar players. Yeah, and, and of course, before. Well, and of course, you can't forget Red. You know. Yes, of course, and you know, I mean, so, like I said, when I was in Nashville between '03 uh, and '06, I, I used to go down uh, to uh, Lower Broadway. So, um, Roberts was one of the main places I used to go, and yeah. Don Kelly's band was always a kicker band i mean there was just everyone on that band was a professional you know hey man 2003 i think is right about the time i left don's band probably because uh, i think when i moved down there uh guthrie trap was the one who played yes yeah yes and the funny story is man i walked into layla's one afternoon and heard guthrie play and when i was talking to don telling him i was leaving the band obviously man i was I had my first manager by then. I had already uh, headlined the, the Ryman Auditorium with Gary Chapman doing uh, Sam's Place and got a standing O at the Ryman. Yep. And then, of course, got welcomed on the Grand Ole Opry for the first time as a, as a solo guitar player. Right. Um, as an artist. And then, of course, my manager, uh, next thing I know, I was, you know, getting ready for my Steve Vai record deal with Favored Nation. Yeah. So telling Don all this, man, was kind of like, what? You know, he just didn't understand why a rock guitar icon would want to sign a kid from Nashville, you know. Yeah. But, but frankly, man, I, I, uh, you know, I give Don such credit, though, man. I mean, he was such a, he, he to this day, still is such a great friend. I love him to death, and, and I'm so grateful for all those times in Nashville. Yep. But it seemed like once my career took off, stage, then it was like Nashville... Nashville for me was kind of at that point like uh, it, it's very hard to to put a cap on this in saying what I'm about to say, but I'll try my best. When I started my solo career, I found out that I couldn't just write chicken picking music. I was right. writing blues, I was writing rock, I was writing you know uh, you know chicken picking country stuff. Yep. But, yes. But the records were kind of all over the place. But over time. You know, I signed to Shrapnel Records in 2011, and then, of course, put out a bunch of records since then. But I, but I'll say this. I was getting record deals in California, in Hollywood, and in San Francisco. Nashville really didn't have much care for who Johnny Highland was or 
you know, I wasn't the skinny, pretty boy, George Strait lookalike, and yeah, you know, yeah. wasn't wasn't the oh, singer with the hat, you know, right, right, right. So, but at the same time, I saw the change start to happen, just like you were speaking of, right. And it seemed as though the love for country guitar and chicken picking and and really, I mean, of course, when I think about it, Sage, think of how many icons we lost from 1996 to present day. I know. Yes. It's amazing. I know. Yes. George Jones, Merle Haggard, Carl Perkins, you know, I mean, the list is, yes. uh, you know, little Jimmy Dickens. And right. I mean, it's so many Bill Monroe. Yes. So many people. And, and Chad uh, Atkins. And of course, Mr. Chad Atkins. Yes, know. sir. Noki Edwards from the Ventures. Yes. Noki Edwards. Uh, yes. Glenn Jennings. Uh, uh, Jerry Reed. Josh, oh, Porter Wagner. I remember all, I mean, what I'm saying, though, is as the icons started leaving, the emphasis of true country music started to shift in Nashville. Right. And they and, you know, hence Shania Twain, Garth Brooks, a lot of the a lot of the new age country stuff was kind of bringing the swinging on Tarzan ropes and the big light shows and the whole nine yards. So there was a massive shift already taking place. But uh you know, when I moved from Nashville, buddy, mullets were still happening. Little Texas was still big, you know? Yeah, yes, yes. Billy Cyrus was out, you know? Uh, but the change did happen. And I will say, man, I lasted until 2018, and I finally just said, you know, I feel like I've done everything I have dreamed of doing in this town. Yep. And I literally watched from 2005 to 2007, man, I lost 14 family members. Ooh. Including my mom and dad. And when was dude, that? That, that, really rocked, that just rocked my world, man. When 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 did you lose your mom and dad? Uh, I lost my dad, and uh, well, I actually met my sweet wife Kimmy down at Roberts. Yeah. And and of course, we were married uh, April second, two thousand five. Okay. And in May of in, in the month before, uh, we lost Kimmy's grandma who helped raise her. Huh. And then the month after our wedding, we lost my dad. In a uh, boat accident with my uncle Jimmy, uh, and honestly, man, that I was supposed to be on that boating trip with them, but I got a chance to open for Eric Johnson in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so I had to go. Right. Uh, but to be honest, man, once once it was like once we lost Dad, it was like a gosh, man. I mean, my family just started dropping like flies, and I couldn't explain it. Yeah. Uh, but all the people that raised me and helped me you know, turn into the man I am today. All we're going, we're leaving. You know, here's a, here's, here's another thing that we, 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 we do share. Um, you know, the one thing we talked about is our disability in the beginning. Yeah. And you're talking about death in the family in the last few years. Uh, if you remember in, in the start of our conversation, I told you that my world was rocking also for the last 10 years. Um, yeah. You know, I started Benado Effects in 2011. That's, you know, that's when I started it. Yeah. Um, a few, just a few months before that, uh, my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, man. Dude. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and for the first year, she was doing fine. So it, it wasn't such a shock because we thought that, you know, she's going to make it and everything. Uh, but then things started to really go downhill, and I used to fly from here back to Israel like two to three times wow. a year uh, to help my, my, my family with my sister. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I stayed there for like a month, a month and a half. So think about this. I'm, I, I, I'm starting a new company, and like literally within a few months – I'm flying three times a year, being away. And then in, so that was 2011. In mm -hmm. 2012, my father was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. Oh, man. So now my mom was literally taking care of my sister and my father at the same time. So then again, wow. I had to go and start flying back home. Well, long story short, short my father died within 18 months so oh. on yeah october 6th 2014 my father passed away and then two years later my sister passed away 
Uh, oh, man, she was younger babe. than me. So, I mean, so I, I, I do understand when you say, like, you know, with, you know, in such a, a, a short time, people are just leaving you left and right. I mean, it, it affects you no matter it what. Affects you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a really bad wall of depression, brother. I really did. And, I, I can and understand I really, that. The emphasis of my whole career changed. I, I can understand that. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize sometimes you, you know, when those kind of things happen to you, you you're going through a change and, and people don't realize why. And they think like, oh man, he's a snob or he's like, well, well whatever. And it's like, no, uh, something's going on. Maybe I'm not talking about it, but something is going on. Yeah. You know, so, well, but yeah, I mean, hard, it's. hard to explain to uh, people. What? It's very, very hard to explain. It is, especially if they never lost anyone uh, close to them. You know, yeah. it's, it's, I remember as a kid, you know, when, when you lose someone or you hear that somebody died, if it's a neighbor or a friend, um, it, it doesn't hit you as if somebody close to you, and especially somebody that you love and admired, like your father mm -hmm. or your sister, all of a sudden yeah. it's like the whole thing, it just turned upside down and turns around yeah. and you're like, wait a minute. There is something in this world that that it's it's not what I thought well, it is, you know. Well, and you know, Sage, I'll, I'll say this too, brother. I'll take it a step further. When you lose a parent, you you start to feel like you have no advice on the earth anymore yep. from the people who actually raised you up, yep. the people who taught you what morals are and what yes. values are, yes. and what goals are, and how to set them and how to reach for them. Yep. Uh, when that when that advice flow stops in your life and that support that yeah. you got from those people in your life stops, right. then you do pivot. Your life makes a complete pivot uh, to where you feel so alone yep. in the world, even though you're not. I mean, right. I have my beautiful wife. I have my, you know, my two little dogs I love. I've got nieces and nephews and my sister and brother are still around, but but to be honest, and I still have a few sets of aunts and uncles, but other than that stage, my whole family really is gone. Yeah, I, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Well, probably, yeah, go ahead. In, in finishing this conversation, though, I think what is so amazing is Timmy's family, my wife's family, uh, once I, you know, when I married her, they welcomed me with open arms, man, and they have been the best family to me that I could ever dream of having. Right. Uh, so to be honest with you, uh, as we saw Kimmy's dad start growing older and Aunt Joanne, and, you know, I mean, hey, we're all growing older, right? Right, yes. So <laughs> the fact is, when I realized, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm in my mid-40s now, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the 21-year-old kid that everyone's going, oh, wow, now it's kids coming to me for lessons going, Mr. Highland, would you? And I'm going, yeah, I'm getting great, but, you know, I, but, but to be honest, man, I, I thought, man, we've sacrificed so many years away from family that why should we do that anymore? Right. Especially when Nashville really made that quote, big change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I totally understand. I totally understand. So that's, that's one of the major, major reasons why Kimmy and I left Nashville. Truly. Yeah. I, I had a feeling because, and, and I hear a lot, uh, a lot of people that I know that, you know, start leaving Nashville, um, that have the same type of feeling that, 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 that small town that we all knew about, is kind of like completely changed to the point yeah. that it's, uh, it's, it's hard to recognize anymore, you know? Yes, my friends, this was part one of my conversation with Johnny. You can go to episode three and listen to part two. Johnny Holland official uh, Facebook page is Holland 007. Johnny is providing some private lessons. And every other Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Johnny is conducting a Q&A live on Facebook. You can find Johnny's albums on all the music platforms such as Amazon Music, Apple Music, Spotify, and the rest of them.
please don't forget to subscribe to It's All About the Tone, rate it, download episodes, and write a review. It will help the show tremendously. Also, if you have any questions or requests, please email me at itsallaboutthetone at benadoeffects.com. You can also visit Benado Effects website at www.benadoeffects.com. Find information about all my products. This is Sage Benado, and I'm the host of this podcast show, It's All About the Tone. Thank you for listening, and see you soon.